Groovy. C'est tout. Let's kick it, buddy. Kick it. Right. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to this episode, this special episode of Frivolous Gravitas, where we further endeavor to help me to lose my voice permanently. Uh, no, this is actually a Christmas episode. So Merry Christmas to all of you who are watching. And, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, have a crazy Kwanzaa. I don't know any of the other Christmas holidays. I don't know. Well, Chinese New Year's coming up. We'll just say Happy Chinese yeah. New Year too. And uh, I guess this occurs well into the Ukrainian uh, Christmas as well, so it all applies. Um, but as with the uh, you know the wheel of the season, uh, we decided that well, what can we do to you know keep the festive uh, you know uh, the festivities going, and how can we take part of it and maybe give back a bit? And we thought we'd give you guys our recommendations because you guys probably need something to read or to listen to on that long car ride across Canada, which it's large country. You're probably going to want something to listen to, uh, you know, an audiobook, some music, uh, something to drone out your in-laws, or maybe just something to pass the time while you didn't realize how much time there was when you're not at work. Uh, either or a way, vessel for escapism. Yes. <laughs> if you need to like ditch the holiday crowd and just sit in a dank room somewhere. Yeah. <clears throat> cuddle up to a light. So we're going to be giving you our uh, kind of maybe rapid lightning round, uh, not too long recommendations on certain things that we enjoy and that we think would bring joy to you as well. So let's start with books. Yeah, let's start with books. All right. So let's let's keep it down. Maybe no more than five minutes for each book. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> And I'm so, actually going to one up you. I'm going to do 60 seconds, but I'm going to do five books for each 60 seconds. <laughs> okay. I've got, I've got a bunch of different books of different stuff. They're all just lying around here. You can see a couple of them on the table, but <laughs> all right. Uh, who, we wanna, who wants to start? You want to go? Uh, how do you want to structure it? You want to just do tit for tat? One, yeah. one, 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 one. Uh, okay. Um, well, I'll start with some of the stuff that we've like recommended a lot. Um, Okay, on the yeah. show before so uh oh geez where do i start? Okay, Al, uh, alan watts being in the way and the oh, philosophy yes. of Dow. those are two books <laughs> well they're, they're two why i put it yeah go on oh sorry one of the reasons i put it at the top of my list though is because i think it's a, a supremely influential book and it's uh or books and they're perfectly accessible to absolutely everybody so a lot of my books are going to be geared towards like you know, math nerds or programmers or philosophers or like quantum physicists and, you know, a bunch of nonfiction stuff that not everybody's into. But specifically, mm -hmm. Alan Watts is approachable to absolutely anybody from any creed, any background, any age, perfectly accessible. So Alan Watts is my number one. I always find Alan Watts is a good foil because he's actually, he's not just a hippie. Well, he is a hippie. But he's totally he's, a hippie. He's a... I don't agree with him on anything, but he's one of those guys that if you're listening to uh, very objective guys and very like, if you're listening to, he's a nice break and he get, asks the right questions in the right way that the hippie movement was supposed to be doing and not just sitting around getting high. This and he's does, so does, funny. Like, this he's does really funny to actually one of my recommendations though. So. <laughs> 
there's going to be a couple hippies in here, even though I'm, you know, if you know me, you're going to be like, Jordan, don't be so hard on the hippies. It's like, no. <laughs> All right. I guess my turn. Yeah, you go. All right. So uh, I guess I'll start with the hippies then. Um, my recommendation, if you want something weird, uh, Tom Wolf's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. This had quite an effect on me, um, but don't take my word for it. Uh, it. It's kind of an expose on the acid movement in the mid 60s, mid to late 60s, well, early mid 60s, where uh, Tom Wolf followed around a bunch of guys from Berkeley uh, and um, they on the uh, on the Kinsey bus. Kinsey is the guy who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest. Um, with that movie with Jack Nicholson, I think is it in it. And, yeah. uh, he followed them around and Kinsey's attempt to open people's minds and, you know, to internally fail it. But if you want to understand the mind of, um, hippies or, uh, it's just jug culture in general, this is a great book and there's more to it than just suffering and depression. There's, uh, a definite mentality. And there was something of the time that people were experimenting with consciousness and different modes of being it none of it really worked but it was an experiment that people did in america that had a huge effect on the way america uh turned out after um so this really is quite the expose and tom wolf is one of the best writers ever i can't recommend tom wolf enough if you want something a little more grounded in realism maybe the right damn it pixel and the right stuff which is about the space program where he follows around lib, like the the gemini 7 astronauts uh, and how they got selected so that's that's mine definitely give it a go uh, cool, cool. i'm not a drug guy and this this made me open my mind a bit kind of not as much as alan oh, watts yeah, you're, would you're but... dragging on you're dragging <laughs> yeah, on. yeah, yeah no. <laughs> i have to be said five minutes <laughs> okay your turn Good. put this in the done uh, pile well then i get to do five in a row if you're gonna do five minutes on one <laughs> okay well i was in five minutes <laughs> ho, ho, ho. um john searle anything by john searle but especially his philosophy but he was also a social activist and political activist and he did a lot of work on like uh, uh ontol ontological studies and sciences of like knowledge and epistemology and things like that but he was a big advocate for the free speech movement um, and he was really, he was really good at communicating with his critics as well. So he, he was, he exemplified a good, uh, a good, what do you call that? Like not scientist, but yeah, he was a good scientist, but a good, uh, debater or whatever. Like he how do you spell open, his name? Uh, S E A R L E. John okay. Searle. I typed his name and I got a hockey player. <laughs> S E A. Uh, oh, surreal. Okay. But, yeah. uh, he, he does even some, um, some work on like the 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 china room or whatever like building a robot and and ai conceptualizing artificial intelligence and you know if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck then it's a duck that kind of thing mm -hmm. so uh he talks a lot about uh, existentialism but from a scientific and quantum approach like through computing or through math or whatever but it, it's not math heavy he's very much philosophical uh, in nature. So he approaches things in a very discussable way. Uh, uh, he, he relates things to everybody. So I think it's an, an awesome approach 
for anyone because um, most people don't get into that type of book. And I think uh, I think it's really important that we do at least at some point in our lives consider existentialism, like seriously. I, I have to read this now. Apparently he had a long running uh, polite feud with Jacques Derrida. So now he's on my good, <laughs> he's on my, he's not on the naughty list. Derrida's always been on the naughty list. <laughs> yeah, the, the rediscovery of the mind is probably the best one I would suggest. Okay. I'm gonna put that one on my list. Thank you, Chris. It's that or intentionality. Those are my two books. <laughs> okay, my turn. Uh, since we're still in philosophy, I'm just gonna shut my HVAC off one second. Yeah. Now that Chris is gone, we can talk about bad things. We can say all the the mean things that Chris won't let us say while I'm on screen. He keeps me hostage in here. You know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not even listening. <laughs> it's okay. You'll see it when you're editing. Uh, all right. Um, I guess to keep on with what we're talking about, if I'll get into a, kind of a harder book, but it's a some a fundamental one. Maybe it's definitely one you can like. I don't know. Everyone says so. I'm just gonna go with a history of Western philosophy by Bertrand Russell. If you're uh, looking to choice. start somewhere, start here. Uh, Downside, it's thick. <laughs> Upside, it's broken into uh, chap like discrete chapters that are uh, chronologically, so it goes from the Greeks to uh, the early 20th century, and he discusses them by philosopher. So, you know, Pythagoras gets his own thing. So if you want to look it up, you can always like, oh, what did John the Scot say? What's stoicism? He doesn't like stoicism. He thinks it's just <laughs> sour grapes. And I was just like, why? And that got me thinking a lot. But this one was a good introduction. It's a good place to start. It's more introduction. <laughs> yeah, honestly, this is it's probably the best introduction. If you're looking to get a global view of philosophy and the whole thought process of it this is the probably the one of the better places to start um so and that yeah. one actually has an awesome audiobook narration yes sometimes you get some really bad quality narrations or they truncate a whole bunch or a, what do you call that um, they abridge it abridge it yeah and not in a fun way like dragon ball z yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no that one's got a supremely good audiobook for it if you if you hunt around yeah uh you can find it on the internet pretty easily all right chris's turn um up next i would suggest if you want to just skipping off of, or piggybacking off of bertrand russell there i might suggest uh, a historian's delight in the title of imperial twilight by uh stephen r platt uh that book is it's not my cup of tea but it was an awesome portrayal of the british colonial era era and leading up to the opium wars but if you really want to get an understanding for um, for China and Chinese politics, even of today, reading the history of the relationship with the West from this from this really in depth and I don't know what, I don't want to say it's just long for no reason. It's actually it's written concisely, but it's just long because there's a lot of detail to it. It's a phenomenal uh, phenomenal historical. Um, historical account, I should say, of. of of the events leading up to the opium wars or the first opium war i don't think it even gets into the second one very much i'm gonna have the whole kowtow up. thing like he explains it for like four hours you're sitting there understanding the background of what kowtow means <laughs> like it's really well done 
I think this one's on my list now. So Oh, it should be. Absolutely for you. You would love this one. That yeah, should be at the top. I've been of looking your list. for more history. Um actually, yeah, coming off of that, history books from me cuz I've got like this is all history. Most of that is history. Uh and stuff behind me is a lot of history. I read a lot of history. But one of my favorite parts of history is World War II because it's just so interesting. So, and one of the best histories of World War II that really actually solidified it, and I've talked about it a lot on the channel, is the Third Reich Trilogy uh, by Richard J. Evans. This is, I read it, I think, last winter. Uh, just blew through it. It was fascinating. Uh, it starts with the coming of the Reich, uh, and then, which is, you know, the the political stuff that was happening in Weimar, Germany. And the second book is the Third Reich in power, the 30s, what they were doing to consolidate their power and all the lies they were telling. And the Third Reich at war, which is this one, which is the only one I've found so far, um, is uh, really about what the Third Reich did and how it, you know, falls. So it's a lot kind of comes off of, reads a bit like, Edward Gibbons, except better written, uh, The Decline and Fall of the uh, Roman Empire. But it really dispels a lot of those myths of the Third Reich, like, um, well, they were actually a good system. Well, he's got the trains to run on time. It's like, no, 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 all of this was lies. And here's why the lies happened. Here's how he told them. And one of the things he does use is primary source material of people a lot uh, that were there. He relies heavily on firsthand accounts, which like is letters or interviews or letters, stuff like William Shire, uh, this book, Berlin Diary, the red one there, which is also good, but that's uh, like correspondence that were there, survivors, uh, notes that were left behind by people that didn't survive, memoirs and stuff like that. Um, just, uh, but he also uses a lot of a um, uh, like statistical data and a lot of like propaganda stuff so he looks at the propaganda what were they saying why were they saying that how does that correspond with everything that we actually see the numbers and he paints a very realistic picture and it's almost worse than you thought it was uh, like we have a pretty dark uh, appreciation for what was happening in the third reich but it gives it a more realistic thing so if you're looking for something to read it's not dense it's easy to read uh it is a history but it's one of it's probably one of the best histories of world war ii i've read so groovy yeah uh next one i might suggest in um in our list here would be range why generalists triumph in a specialized world by david epstein uh epstein maybe epstein? sorry if i butchered that did but, he uh, not kill himself no <laughs> <laughs> different guy um, yeah, range is awesome because I think it's uh, it sort of points out the value of um, like diversifying your abilities and your your core skill sets, not for the sake or purpose of doing a specific thing or achieving a specific reward, but it shows the benefits like in all types of different avenues in industry or whether it's sports and athletics or you know CEOs and market traders or programmers or whatever, no matter what you do. You're better at that if you know a bunch of other things as well oh. uh, and it sort of goes into detail with examples of uh, a lot of like key figures uh including like tiger woods and some race car drivers and you know famous traders and stuff like that on the markets uh, i can't do... remember the names off the top of my head memory is not my forte but <laughs> why not i might read that 
and then we could do a podcast on it because I actually been wanting to talk about generalization. Oh, we absolutely too. should. Because you can't like video game. If you want to make a video game, you cannot specialize. You have <laughs> to know a bit of everything. Yeah, especially if you're trying to like write a story even or if you're going to be a journalist, mm-hmm. like any type of industry actually requires uh, as long as you're not on a factory production line, any other job require like higher yeah. education, but education for specific training is not exactly helpful if you're trying to build a game about history and know nothing about history or if yeah. you're trying to build a, a game about sports and know nothing about sports you know what i mean yeah that one's a good one okay i've got a whole like bunch of tabs here from your recommendations that now i'm gonna use so <laughs> i'm Merry trying Christmas. to write yours down as we go <laughs> but i don't think i can read those big books that you read <laughs> oh i got a few small ones here some very small ones uh by the time I'll... i get to the next chapter i forget everything from the from before <laughs> uh here i'll pick a small one uh let's go with um george orwell so anything by george orwell uh especially his nonfiction. uh road to wigan pier is a good place to start also but i don't have it down and out in paris and london's good both of these books are pretty much um him being what's it like for the poor and then instead of just going to talk to them he goes and lives with them he works with them he just says to his wife i'm gonna go live with the poor in paris and london and in northern this one is after that where he goes and lives in northern britain a bit and lives with the poor and lives with them he does scrimshaw with them he coal mines and realizes that he's terrible at it uh he works on the docks he works at a restaurant in paris which will make you never want to eat at a restaurant ever again uh because it kind of felt like a lot of stuff i was doing at a restaurant um is that like a tale of two cities kind of vibe or what no it's it's this they are down out in paris and london is fictional based on his experiences because he didn't want to like out anybody but this one is they're very much kind of like reporting here's what it's like for the poor people they only eat one piece of bread a day and have no teeth did you know that no well now you do i've lived with them and there's a lot more to them than you think they're not just you know the poors and it really gives you again a more realistic uh representation of what it was like to be poor and he being a very much a champion of the poor in the lower class he he george orwell wrote with that in mind and to stop the oppression of the poor and so he went and fought in the spanish civil war and then realized which is amish Catalonia, which you should also read uh which is disenfranchisement with communism and then he came back and said okay i'm writing 1984 now and so all of his books leading up to the war his earlier books are fascinating like absolutely fascinating uh read all of them <laughs> I can't pick one. <laughs> I guess along that vein, um, one of the only books that I, I managed to hold on to, I might recommend my book, Emergence hey, Latour at Imago. Do it. Can um, I read Chris's book? It's a good <laughs> book. So it's sort of like a philosophical introspective uh, following the life of a teenager. So it's fictional, but again, it's um, representational of actual events. But the point of it was mostly to be a poetic sort of treatise towards introspection itself. And it's very postmodern, so it's not uh, it's not much of Jordan's cup of tea, but it does feature a feature length uh, album that's written and recorded in the voice of the protagonist. So I don't know if it's postmodern because you're not critiquing yourself. 
too much. It's you meant were, to without doing it though, yeah, without well, saying you, so explicitly. You're, you're critiquing yourself, but you're not like, I don't know. It still had meaning to it. And yeah, so, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I liked it. I kind of want to go back and like make sure all the commas in the right place, but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, feel free to edit it, man. I'll put your name on it. <laughs> Edited by this guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's see here. Where do I want to go next? I think I'm going to dive into something a little different. <clears throat> Mysticism, maybe anything by Herman Hess. Uh, but specifically Siddhartha, if you read Steppenwolf, realize that the, that the character of Steppenwolf is not cool. He's actually the bad guy. <laughs> um, but Siddhartha, I've brought this up so many times. It helped me, uh, actualize my own enlightenment path in a way, uh, kind of says like, you kind of have to find your own path, but that being said, in order to understand the book, you have to read it yourself. <laughs> so go ahead and read it. It's about a person that's living in the time, Siddhartha, who's living in the time of Buddha. And he um, goes and actually meets Buddha and finds that Buddha can't teach him nothing. Buddha's like, yeah, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and then he goes on his own path of enlightenment um, and finds uh, the true meaning of his life, uh, kind of, sort of, it's not really that, but go read it, see what it means for you. Um, next on my list would be, might be uh, Samuel Stein's Capital City, Gentrification and the Real Estate State. Uh, it's a book that kind of, well, he, he coins a bunch of terms, so he plans, explains how like city planning and area zoning and things like that actually affect culture and society and peoples itself. Uh, he, he calls it sort of like the ripoff economy or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's important because every city, like every developed city, not just not like boonie towns and stuff like that, but developed cities are very much constructing the types of poverty and income disparity gaps and um, wage declining or well, I guess purchasing power decline of the common folk and if you're more than you know if you're part of the 70 percent of the population that applies to then it's probably in your best interest to vote with this type of information in mind so it's a really good perspective it's not entirely accurate um, or perfect or any way but no uh, subjective opinion piece ever is but there's enough yeah. detail and information in there for you to form your own opinions based on the research he's done anyway. So it's very like, useful. And I think it cites examples like uh, the Chinatown in, in San Francisco and um, Harlem and the Bronx and stuff in, uh, in New York. So it's got some it's got some really deep and important matters. And it's not too heavy for people who aren't into markets or uh, or politics. OK. Again, I'm trying to make uh, most oh, of my true. books are chosen to be accessible. <laughs> Mine, a lot of them are, some of them aren't. Some of them are just going to be weird. <laughs> yeah, I got a bunch in there too. Do I want to, you know what? I brought this one up a lot and I thought it would be good because I think it's actually a good one. Oh, Chris is leading. Uh, let's do Lukianoff and Hate's Coddling of the American Mind, which is such a, such a divisive title, but essentially they get into how our culture is changing and how it's changing us and we complain about this a lot in in uh what do you call it in our education episodes where a lot of you know uh 
they talk a lot about the consequences of participation awards uh, and participation uh, credits and um, also the influence of social media on our youth. Um, and I actually tend to bring it up quite a bit. So maybe instead of just taking my word for it, go actually give it a read, see if you agree with them or not. Um, it's not a right-wing propaganda piece. Uh, Jonathan Haidt is probably... Uh, one of the most more left-leaning guys that I listen to regularly. So, but he's a pragmatist too. Like he's not he radicalized is. or anything. No, he just wants people to stop shooting themselves from what they see on uh, social media. Yeah. So, uh, my next recommendation would be a couple sort of lumped them together, but I'll start with uh, Plato's Timaeus and Critias. Critias. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but anyway, one of those Penguin classics or whatever. Uh, it's okay. a it's a criticism of Socrates's ideal state. Um, so I guess that was mostly from Plato's Republic or uh, other ideas of um, of like you know just social organization and and stratification of class systems and things like that and you know rights. <laughs> but uh, in in doubling up with that one, I'll also suggest Beyond Good and Evil, which we talked about in another episode. So I don't really need to go in in depth. But yeah, but I only always I only covered, always worth the read. I only covered a minuscule part of that. There's so much in Beyond Good and Evil yeah. that um, it's a small book, but you can take forever to read it if you want in to. It. And you can yeah. like you can focus like we lasered focused on a couple passages and got like two hours out of it yeah we spoke uh, two hours about two sentences <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i'm gonna get a bit into fiction now uh i got a bunch of fiction here um i guess let's do c.s lewis just because it's a christian holiday you might as well read a christian book <laughs> and c.s lewis is even if you're an atheist there's meaning in this there's stuff you can learn about this it's if you haven't read it, um, well, read anything by C.S. Lewis, specifically uh, uh, The Abolition of Man and Mere Christianity was really good. Um, but this one is a good starter to get into C.S. Lewis. If um, you have just like Chronicles and Arnie was for kids, this is really not for kids. Uh, but it's talking, it's a story of a junior devil asking in correspondence with a senior devil. Uh, about how he should be tempting and corrupting a man. Uh, and this is set during World War II. So you watch the attempts to corrupt this man and then the general um, grace of this, spoilers, uh, of this <laughs> man who um, the devil fails to tempt. But you, he, in doing this, because C.S. Lewis is one of the most brilliant people of the 20th century, up there with you know people like his best friend Tolkien. Um, they oh, were they were best friends? Oh, they were best buds. They used I to go to movies that. together. They, I think there's a story of them going to like Disney movies and then both just sitting in the audience going, huh, 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 this is a terrible story. Like, don't <laughs> they, they could tell, they could be doing so much more with this. Like they just thought Disney would like, just like we huff about movies today, they are often oh, yeah. about Disney then. So yeah, remember any, just because it's old doesn't mean you have to look at it through rose colored glasses, but this one is really good there's a lot in there and there's more in there than you think because he definitely discusses what is moral what is immoral what is evil what is good and it's a lot more nuanced than you think and he definitely i'd say c.s lewis really does 
give the fairest argument for Christianity since like Jesus. <laughs> okay, that's maybe hyperbole, but he's uh he definitely he definitely does a good job. So right, well in keeping with that theme, my next recommendation I think is gonna have to be J.A. Morrison's Martin Luther, the uh the biographical and sort of not just strictly biographical, but it, it's it's just a biography. <laughs> but it's interesting because they go uh, they go into um, into depth in the mindset of Martin Luther and like the approach and and um, what what inspired him and drove him like right down from like the family level and then you know education and his background in the in the community and things like that and then his um his belief systems through the church so it wasn't just like he did this he did this he did this which a lot of biographies are but um yeah um highly recommended can't recommend it enough for uh for the christians and atheists alike um my next one's actually for another book written by a catholic uh Catholic priest. I don't know if he was an apostate at the end, but he definitely was critical of the Catholic Church to some extent. And this is one of my favorite books ever, and I never talk about it because it just never comes up. Uh, a Canticle for Leibowitz, Leibowitz by Walter Miller. It's actually a science fiction book. Um, it's kind of like Fallout, if Fallout was written by a Catholic and had good writing. What's Fallout? The fo Like the video games. Oh, I never played them. No. What they're, are they they're about? Good. They're they're pretty famous. <laughs> yeah, I know they're famous, but what are they about? They're like post-apocalyptic, you wander around a wasteland. Oh, okay. uh, and there's like quests and stuff. So this one's set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, and it focuses on an abbey in probably Colorado, around that area, the eastern side of the Rocky Mountains. And their job is to save and protect and preserve um ancient texts and technology so you can wonder why i like this right off the bat <laughs> um so this group but they treat it as a religious observance the 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 abbey of uh i can't remember it's been a while but this abbey um was blessed saint isaac Leibowitz, uh <laughs> and so the abbey is the main focus and you there's three stories in it and the one of the stories is you know it's the height of the wasteland everything's terrible and uh there is just everyone's just trying to survive and they rediscover light uh the light bulb and it's this mystical thing uh that they've rediscovered from their teachings uh and then the second story is set during kind of like a uh roman period where they're starting to get city states coming back up again there's an empire consolidating its power and they're brought built up in the politics and the third story is when the the knowledge of the abbey has been used for um to create a new modern world that is threatened by the same uh nonsense that it threatens our world today so and all through this are uh talks of theology morality uh and christianity which are actually just it's it's one of the best books i've ever read <laughs> perfect yeah i guess um in reflecting from what uh from your last recommendation there i'm going to pick uh well i'll start with great dialogues of plato hmm. can't go wrong with that and again 
morality, rights, justice, virtue, um, emotions of all sorts. And tied to that, I would say Homer's Iliad, uh, if you're looking for something that's like story driven, but also deeply metaphorical and very much the uh, a, a brain. Oh, I don't want to censor myself. I, a, a brain meld. <laughs> I um, found the Iliad. I went on a massive Iliad kick a couple of years ago and I just, I treated it like the Bible. <laughs> it's so hard to read, but it's so deep. Like when you yes. stop and consider all the, the symbolisms and metaphors and sort of apply them, like what kind of book starts with arete? <laughs> yeah. Single word. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. Actually, the thing I that got me into yeah. one of this actually is a good transition here, but like the Iliad and um, the Odyssey, there's a lot more in there than you think. Uh, I guess read Bullfinch's mythology if you want to have more things. Oh, that's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Actually, you can probably do that one after this one. So okay, the thing that got me into the Iliad was a two books by Dan Simmons, and everything by Dan Simmons is great because he's weird. And I've talked about this a couple times, but Ilium and Olympos by Dan Simmons. Where do I get this in frame? Uh, I recommend this to everybody ad nauseum because it's just the weirdest and best thing I've ever read. They are thick, but you will, it, it'll be hard to put down because just. Is Ilium meant to be a pun? No, Ilium is, <laughs> no, the thing, the thing is, is Ilium is literal. So the plains of Ilium, which oh, is okay. uh, Troy, which is the Greek word for uh Troy, you know, uh, everyone had a different name for it. Troika. So, <laughs> and so it's literal because Ilium is an actual place. The book starts and you're in the Iliad and this guy, Dan Simmons, obviously has read it more than I have, uh, <laughs> but he's also read more Proust and Shakespeare. And he melds them all together in a very literal fashion. There's a historian's who are there because the gods put them there, the literal gods put them there to watch. Uh, the unfolding of uh, the battle at Troy and uh, <laughs> and it all goes wrong when um, some of the other gods come and mess things up and their political infighting between the gods is good but there's also Caliban the Shakespearean monster from uh, the Tempest shows up. Uh, there's two androids trying to get to Earth from Jupiter. That's so uh, random. Who argue Proust the entire time they're on their journey. It so is, random. Oh, it's so random, but it is so good. And it sounds made, like it'd be a great cartoon. Oh yeah, this if they made this into like an anime, yeah, uh, <laughs> then that'd be great. Uh, but it's so weird. Uh, also, his Hyperion Cantos are also great, but weird, where he takes Canterbury Tales and makes it into a science fiction story. <laughs> and uh, But Dan Simmons is an amazing writer, and I found it hard to put those down uh, at all because it was just so fascinating. So, My next recommendations are going to get really, really serious, so I'm gonna, I'll am gonna lump a couple together, too, for that. Um, okay. Norman Finkelstein, An Issue with Justice, Origins of the Israel-Palestine Conflict. And it's from the perspective of a uh, New York Jew, Norman Finkelstein, who's also a very astute scholar. 
He's one of those reclusive types that just just studies like 24 seven his entire life. But if you read his early stuff, he's kind of like radical left. And then he, he progressed and changed his mind on a lot of issues later on. So don't just judge his opinion or his views based on one thing that you've read from him because he's got dra- dramatically different approaches in, in yeah, depending on the points some of his, his life. I remember some of his early stuff he'd like end his speeches with just to tell you I'm a radical communist and yeah. <laughs> the revolution is coming. I'd be like, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a lot to do with his background and upbringing that radicalized them. Right. So, um, we can all sort of, uh, identify or relate to that in some, to some degree, varying degrees. But, uh, my next suggestion or recommendation would be Ludwig von Mises omnipotent government, the rise of the total state and total war. Uh, That's von Mises my... is a brilliant, thinker and writer again i don't always agree but it's really nice to have a fresh and well fleshed out thought out opinion on matters that are pertinent even today um, Mises well, especially is next on my audiobook list he's What's already that? in my phone <laughs> <laughs> everyone keeps talking about him he's like it's like society's rediscovering Mises right now i haven't heard anybody ever mention him ever like not I've even only in heard people mention him in the last like six months because everyone's just so sick of all this you know uh frankfurt school that's neither here nor there okay it was uh george george bush and the war in iraq and stuff like that that got me into to reading that type of stuff because it was just it was unconscionable to me that nobody in my generation was even thinking or reading about stuff that was actually happening and everybody just seemed completely blind to the fact that uh there's an economy of war out there and power and totalitarianism, totalitarianism is still a real threat. It's not just something that happened to people in the past. So it's important to know. Okay. So uh, I think I've got two more book recommendations. But I'm going to stay in the Middle Ages. And my, la- my one is Umberto Eco and The Name of the Rose. This is one of my favorite authors ever. He... Every time I read one of his books, I it just it sits in my soul for like a month. <laughs> and uh, the curious flame of Queen Luana, uh, still whenever I think about the book, just haunts me. Um, but this one was probably one of his more famous ones. They made a movie of it, which actually wasn't a bad one. But essentially, this is the best retelling of the. Um, uh zadig myth which turned into the um what do you call that the uh what's the guy uh sherlock holmes uh Mm. kind of thing so there's this um what's his name there's this uh monk his name is brother william of baskerville so you know exactly he's not he's not playing games like (laughs) this guy is supposed to be sherlock holmes and he's essentially a critical thinker in the middle ages so this is baskerville yeah as in like (laughs) hound of the baskervilles like he's not playing he 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 doesn't care he's he's not mincing words about it (laughs) no he's like this is a mystery and he's talking about critical thinking that's what this book about this book is about thinking and he contrasts this character and it's told from the perspective of the character's uh, attendant, uh, this boy um, who follows him around as little friar. And there's a murder mystery at the Abbey of something or other. The Abbey of there's another Abbey. <laughs> um, so everyone abbey in of the Downton. 
Yeah, the Downtons. <laughs> no, but the the it takes place in a time where everyone's ignorant, where everyone doesn't think, where they say just Dave's fault. Oh, I said this because God says it. I am the voice of God because I am a the leader of the uh, Benedictine Inquisition. And he's a scholar of the Middle Ages, so he's got a very good understanding of the nature of what these institutions back then were. And it is definitely a compare and contrast between critical thinking and poor thinking. But at the same time, it's just a really good story because Umberto Eco is a great writer. I recommend anything by Umberto Eco, um, especially like Foucault's Pendulum, which is about Foucault's Pendulum, but it's about lying and honesty and how conspiracy theories will end up hurting only yourself and only causing damage and do no good. Um, but this one is probably his most famous work. Read the book, watch the movie. The movie's actually good. And they actually find an abbey that has the same layout as the one in the book. So I don't oh, know how right they did. On. And in the movie, actually, they the guy who made it went and actively looked for people that were just as ugly as possible for like a lot of the characters, except for a couple of them who were supposed to be attractive, like the um, the friar boy. And because uh, he realized that like everyone in the Middle Ages was ugly or more yeah, ugly it happens from being a yeah a peasant <laughs> yeah and then there's sean connery so sean connery was in the movie so but uh anything by umberto echo but start within the name of the rose and if you like it branch out from there so um he's call. deep and he's italian so it's a bit different than something that you're used to and if uh for a more contemporary political perspective um bouncing off of sort of medieval medieval ages um what was i oh yeah marching toward hell uh michael Schuer. that no that's not the one it's a hill to die on that i was thinking of where is that one i can't remember who wrote it there's two people who wrote that one it's written by jesus <laughs> i thought i put it on my list but apparently i did oh there it is yeah uh, so the hill to die on the battle for Congress and the future of Trump's America by Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost funny how ridiculous, but serious, like even the house of Congress and the house of representatives and like people like, uh, Paul Ryan, especially, um, but everybody in that sort of cohort that conspired towards Trump for the sake of power and for the sake of, uh, you know, tax relief on their businesses and money and, and, like the the tax uh what do you call that his tax reform with air quotes <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh so that would be huge and then to follow that up i'd also suggest again which i can't recommend highly enough is uh henry david thoreau's civil disobedience because that's the the perfect yeah. counter counter plug to to the hill to die on you do have to take Thoreau with a bit of a grain of salt but you have to read him <laughs> even for his time like if he had wrote this today i would still be impressed by how accurate his assessment of media and its influence on culture and people and and politics is uh, especially with respect to like war or uh or finance like um fiscal jurisprudence and that kind of thing mm -hmm. um, but he's if, definitely throw had a big influence on a lot of my stuff i don't agree with him on actually very much anymore but I'm glad I read him and I like pick him up every once in a while. 
Oh, we'll I have like to his... do an episode on Thoreau then, because I can't imagine how you disagree with very much of what it's... he says. <laughs> I I don't agree with some of the things, his conclusions in Walden. That's that's what I'm mostly talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I didn't I, even read Walden. I, I read all the other uh, his essays yeah. and stuff like that on political dissent, mostly. So civil disobedience is, I don't, uh, maybe I'll read it again. I don't think I remember. I should well. check out Walden. I must have skimmed I, I keep it. meaning to, and I don't. Walden's is definitely his one. His first five chapters are just called economics. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, not even giving a shit. One of the things I don't like about him is that he's like, you don't need to read. Reading is useless. And I was just like, listen, throw, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> I think he was being ironic because he reads and writes constantly. Well, in that book, yeah, I know, right? In that book, he only brings, I think it's a Shakespeare play, and he said, I didn't even need that. Um, and I was just like, listen, buddy. He does have a sense of humor like that, though. He has. Mm-hmm. He says things that are like obviously contrary to his own opinion because it's supposed to be like a, yeah, sure, like sarcasm type of thing. Yeah. But I guess that's not always clear either. <laughs> Never mind. I've got two more books. <laughs> All right, which one do I want to go with? Uh, future or present? Uh, past. Okay, so let's go with um, computers. I'm going to go with Walter Isaacson's The Innovators. Uh, this coupled with uh, How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley really will show you how innovation actually happens. Uh, because this is the story um, he wrote a biography of Steve Jobs too, but I don't really care about Steve Jobs all that much. Yeah, um, me neither. <laughs> and, but this, he does, does a great history of computing from uh, the Babbage engine, um, the Babbage analytical engine, uh, the Jacquard loom, all the way up to, where does he end here? This was written in 2014, all the way up to, come on. The internet, essentially. So the creation of the internet and the proliferation of, I think, like a lot of the modern stuff. So this is a, he goes from, you know, counting machines, microchips, vacuum tubes, uh, Turing's in here, all the people in here. And this actually helped me quite a bit with my thesis because, um, well, I was talking about computers. Uh, But this, if you want a good and concise history of computing, this is probably one of the better places to go and it's very accessible he's not writing for you know stuffy historians like me he's re- reading writing for people who want to learn about the history of computing and not all of his books have this you know very austere cover <laughs> so don't don't let it scare you away this is he's a he's a great it's a great work and i've read it twice probably mm. Well, bouncing off that, I guess I would suggest uh, Clayton M. Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma. And uh, to I've got too many on my list here, so I'm just going to start adding a couple together. Um, yeah, I've only got one more book, so. Okay, Rory Sutherland's Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. So it, it's a lot of it's about like the things that people believe without thinking and the things that people don't think about that they should because they don't have uh, specific or well-thought-out beliefs. So they, they do kind of go together if you if you look at them from an uh, an existential or a background, higher perspective, higher order uh, point of view. And Joel Kotlin's got a book called The Coming of Neo-Feudalism. Uh, that book is an excellent portrayal of 
um, like comparing and contrasting today's modern society to feudal societies and suggesting that the issuance of credit and debt and the prevalence of uh, income disparity and things like that are actually um, sort of forming another, the exact same fundamentally same system of like ownership of property and, and subjugation of the people who need the property to subsist. But Chris, uh, inflation is good for poor people and bad <laughs> for the upper class. Haven't you heard? Yeah, see our <laughs> episode on inflation. That's uh, that the episode inflation definitely recommended because uh, they just came out with stats about how inflation, how much inflation there was in America in the last year. And that's and downplayed like a yeah. lot. They've been juicing it's, the stats by changing. Oh, and the, they keep the saying metric. stuff like, you know, well, Biden just came out with like saying like, oh, we're so good with our money. I'm going to take out more debt. It's like, <laughs> but you know what? The Federal Reserve was just interviewed yesterday, the chairman of the Fed. And he mm. said that um, they should think about having a crypto dollar, like a digital dollar. And don't worry, we'll manage it properly and we'll be prudent and we'll have it well regulated and there'll be lots of oversight. And I'm like, the reason you need a crypto dollar is because you've destroyed your own dollar by not having regulation and oversight. So it's so, just so ironic that it came from the words of the mouth of the, the chairman of the yeah, Fed like yesterday. I'm not. I'm getting more pessimistic. So if you'd <laughs> like to donate to the channel, please send us bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> and no, then just really. uh, just quickly, I'll throw in George Soros as the alchemy of finance because that's like an epic all time. If you don't know anything about economics, you can learn everything that they don't tell you all in one book. Didn't George Soros just get arrested or something? I doubt it. He's got more money than the government with the police. <laughs> you can uh, buy countries, literally, literally. He has like tens of billions of dollars, not just like one or two billion, but like hundred billion. I think he's got a couple hundred billion just in, in managed, uh, what do you call it? Assets under management. Maybe even a trillion okay. by now. <laughs> Soros assets under management. I'm just going to check quickly because I'm curious. He reported to have his firm had 27.9 billion in assets under management, ranked the sixth institutional hedge fund on the 100 list. That was back in 2011. Hedge funds, hmm. which was a lot of money back then because we didn't talk with B's, we talked with M's at the time. Yeah. Now we're talking about teas to go get some bread at the yeah, store. Yeah, like Apple's pushing towards a $3 trillion market cap. Like, absolutely insane. Last year, there was no companies ever that were $1 trillion. Now there's like three of them that are pushing for $3 trillion. Like, Oh, yeah. I think we're, we're getting off topic. Changing topic is my next book. <laughs> I sound like I, I'm like channeling LeVar Burton here from Reading Rainbow. Uh, <laughs> so mine is, and this is required reading for all of you. Um, <laughs> This is a swerve by Stephen Greenblatt. I honestly, I read this book and then went and read every single other book Stephen Greenblatt read because he lots, he talks a lot about um, uh, Shakespeare and I don't know, I just, he's just a great writer. So this one is kind of, it's a weird book and it's actually kind of fascinating because he talks about the history of another book, which is uh, De Rerum Nature, which is the nature of things, which is kind of a critique of stoicism but it also acts as a proto-scientific method and view of the world. And it was a competing philosophy with Stoicism in the Roman period. And so it's kind of like a way of thinking too, right? Yeah. Not just like what it is, but like how to do it. Right. And it's a very scientific way of thinking. But Diorum Nature is written as a poem by Lucretius, 
who was a Epicurean. Uh, and so he goes into the philosophy of Epicurean, he goes into the philosophy of, uh, of Lucretius, and then he goes into the history of the book itself and how it was almost lost and was accidentally discovered by a guy in um, a monastery in Central Europe where, and the guy who discovered it didn't actually ever end up reading it. And that's the only reason we know about De Rerum Nature is because of uh, well, the story that's in this book. And he goes into how important um, of a book it is and how important of a book it was and how it, um, the influence in it had on things like the enlightenment on people like Descartes, Locke, uh, um, Hobbes and Kant and all the early Renaissance thinkers once it got disseminated and how the backlash on this book created like uh, a scrubbing of the history kind of propaganda wise of the Epicurean. So you hear Epicurean, they think, oh, they're just hedonist and I'm an Epicurean. I, I go and, you know, you just, you know, overindulge and everything. Drugs, quay drugs, sex, quay sex. And it's just like, no, it's not like that at all. Epicureanism is actually just, you were living your life. You were the one living it. Enjoy it. How do you enjoy it? With drugs? No. It's By an having, emphasis on appreciation though. It's appreciation of the, of the good things in life. Yeah. like family and friends and being moral <laughs> and so it's a very it gets into this and it really is a very good expose of ancient and modern thought i'm just hitting my mic here <laughs> so so i'll rapid fire off some physics books because i think uh nothing better in the last 10 20 years than yeah. the way our physicists have been projecting and um conveying information that's usually reserved for the for the theoretical physicists or phds yeah. or whatever and then so let's like, get into shows or movies yeah i'm just going to do rapid fire yeah. on these books first sean m carroll read anything by him especially on time and entropy and uh um, yeah he's got a way of explaining stuff that's just like oh <laughs> yeah and brian cox wrote a book called uh, why does e equals mc squared and he also does a whole bunch of documentaries and shit like he's phenomenal um purveyor of uh science uh, Brian Green, The Hidden Reality. He also did um, the the oh shit. What's it called? The the Spectacular Universe or the Wonderful Universe, something like that. But he, he's got a whole series. And Brian Green also hosts the World Science Festival, which is like panel debates and discussions with experts that they run like every year, except for during COVID, they didn't do very much. Um, but those are those are terrific. Um, all of his books are terrific. Uh, Richard Feynman. Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, is fantastic. And then one that's completely unrelated, but I had to add it in, is Trevor Aronson, The Terror Factor Inside the FBI's Manufactured War on Terrorism. And again, that's just political awareness. I think everybody should read it. So Mm. we'll skip. All right. So uh, this section is probably going to be a bit shorter. I've only got two recommendations because everyone everyone's kind of a little more plugged into um tv and movies um and uh then i think we'll move on to music which i'm going to be very quiet on because i love music but not as much as some of you guys so (laughs) most uh, people won't like my uh my tastes anyway so we'll probably you know what i changed my mind on a lot of on, on a lot of stuff i was just like i don't know if i like this and i listened to it i'm like I like this. <laughs> so, but there's uh, so few and far between, though. 
let's see here. I go. So my first recommendation for viewing, uh, let's see here. None of these are really, uh, none, neither of mine are going to be very like accessible and maybe actually hard to find. Um, my first one's going to be the thing I bring up all the time and my favorite show in the world, uh, is Babylon five. Oh, (laughs) uh, because it's kind of like star Trek. It's a little more realistic. The humans are humans and the, they treat the characters, right? There's a five-year arc that comes to a nice, satisfying, yet emotionally devastating conclusion. And, um, you're somehow rooting for even the bad guys. Um, and it's campy. The acting's really shoddy in parts. The CGI does not, uh, does not hold up too well. The, the ships are still awesome. Uh, the music is great, um, but for its time. And it really, you really enjoy following people on this horrible journey that they're going on. Uh, plays off of themes for everything from Shakespeare to Lord of the Rings to, you know, 20th century movies. So it's really just a hidden gem and my only thing about it you do have to get through the first season um but there's a lot of foreshadowing in the first season that uh really pays off you don't know their foreshadowing until it happens in like the fourth season you're like whoa that's the thing and so you end up doing that a lot uh and there's just so much character development you don't know where the character is going to go um you don't you literally do not know where the character is going to go and when they get there it's tragic and wonderful for every character it's i can't recommend it enough um maybe skip the movies except for in the beginning but that's you watch the movies or the show first oh you watch the show uh go find a chronological order on reddit if you're really interested (laughs) there's only like one episode i'd say to skip no two in, they're both in the first season. One of them is a boxing episode that has no, like, there's no reason for it to be there. So that's my first show recommendation. Um, mine, I guess, in in line with yours for that one, I'll pick out The Expanse because I think that show's mm. starting up again. So everybody should be watching the new season. But if you haven't already watched it, you should definitely go into that series. Yeah. Uh, not only is it entertaining, but they do a great job of all the little things like um, throwing in accents or uh, using the names of real asteroids and moons of other planets. Uh, it's sci-fi, sorry, if you're not aware. Um, but they also, they, they consult a lot with um, physics, mm-hmm. uh, astrophysicists in their show. So they try to make it as realistic as possible, even though it's very sci-fi and it's got the alien element or whatever yeah well that's one thing that i think both of the shows did and the books for the expanse were great too uh yeah <laughs> we said we were done uh but um the both of the shows have this thing where the humans have to obey all the laws of physics as we know it the, the aliens can do whatever nonsense magic they yeah, want yeah but both of the shows because babylon 5 does this thing where all of the the fighters you know you have like star wars where they're just pretty much world war ii fighting but in babylon 5 they have like you'll see the fighter and it'll come up but then it'll keep its inertia and cut its acceleration and just and then cut it and then you know so it can like do a strafing run so it'll just keep going with its inertia and they'll do a bunch of stuff like that and the expanse did it even better um 
Yeah, whereas and, the old time they tried to make them fly through space as if they were uh, flying with yeah. fluid dynamics and stuff like that, or aerodynamics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the expense was good. Um, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. So, uh, this one's going to be from me and my wife, because we just binged it, and I've been telling you guys I've been binging it, is The Legend of Galactic Heroes. Uh, it <laughs> that was ruin- a great recommendation from you. You got me <laughs> on that one. Yeah, nothing is as good as this. It will ruin all other anime for you forever. Um, (laughs) It's a sweeping sci-fi epic, kind of reminiscent of old uh, like shot and ball epics where, but it's in space. So there's space Prussia essentially versus space America Republic. And they'll, you follow these two, empires as they are locked in this like war while smaller parties like a city capitalistic city state and some religious nut jobs uh who are worshiping earth itself are you know trying to control things behind the scenes and it seems a bit over the top at times but it's really not because people can be that stupid and people can be that competent it's not and every once in a while it reminds you that war is one of the worst things that humans can do to each other. And, but the entire time they're fighting, they'll be arguing like what it means to be in a live in a Republic or in a free state, what it means to live, what it, what ambition means in an authoritarian regime, what it's like for the small people, what it's like for like, what are the consequences of needless war and stupidity in battle? Um, and it really does this while having these most epic space battles, some of the most epic stuff you'll ever see. And the reason it's epic is that the entire soundtrack is classical music. The That's enti- probably the best part to it too. The first season is heavy on Mahler. I was hooked by episode 15 when they just take Dvorak's ninth symphony, uh, the fourth movement, and they just play it from beginning to end for the first like half of the episode to this giant invasion that's happening. And I was just like, I, I can't say anything. It's just too good. It's hard to find. You have to pirate it pretty much. Uh, don't watch the new one that came out. This story isn't as nuanced and uh, the designs aren't as cool. But they do all these like little dialogue sessions, like to show you and get you into the character before they mm. die. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're real people that you really get a sense and an attachment to the character. And then you show what happens to him yeah. from just the brutality and of war. Everyone gets a name. Everyone who shows up. Oh, this is Sergeant so-and-so. And you might not see him again, yeah. but he'll still get a name. Uh, <laughs> and here's the ex-wife that was left behind because yeah. they had to break up and he wanted for her to have a new life and not to be attached to him because he knew he wasn't coming back. Like they just, they, they show you this whole progression towards. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really. Also, well this done. show will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no spoilers, but um, it's worse than. Uh, game of thrones for uh, <laughs> i hope you like that character <laughs> what's your favorite oh well shame um shame. since um we're getting a bit a bit slow i'm gonna i'm gonna double up on a couple um more more than movies i think i'm gonna recommend just like hbo series and stuff like uh those long those drama series that are just really highly produced in hollywood and things like that so the wire and peaky blinders would be my number one and two on that okay peaky blinders is actually good 
Oh, I keep seeing it on Netflix, which makes me go. Ugh. So <laughs> no, honestly, the name is stupid. But until you actually start watching it and it's a it's a, it's based on real on a real history of like a London gang that used to put razor blades in their caps. So that's why they're the Peaky Blinders oh, okay, they yeah. blind with their caps. But it's like a score. It's so Scorsese esque, like just the Ooh. the tones of the and the directing and the dialogue and like the writing, the scripting and everything about it is just written out like it it was meant to be a movie, but there was just too much in it, so they made a whole bunch of movies as a and series. It doesn't, it doesn't get uh, Game of Thronesy like everyone wants to be nowadays. It's better than Game of Thrones, like Game hands Thrones. down. Like not oh, even I, close. I was saying to my wife today. The only good season of Game of Thrones was season one. <laughs> well, season one through three, I guess. But yeah. yeah. Well, one thing. Okay, aside. But <laughs> one of the things that I liked about it is that in the first season, they're telling stories to each other. Mm. They're just standing around telling stories to each other, and that stopped after the first season because they did exposition to each other. I remember that time that explains what's about to happen in four scenes really well and puts context to everything we're doing. Well, I'm going to tell you about that. And they're just sitting around talking to each other and everyone's just like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and then <laughs> and they, they stop telling each other the stories. Lore. Like they yeah. stop with the lore and then they just start with magic out of nowhere. And mm. they, they don't even try to give you any foreshadowing or, or help you guide you along. But mm. uh, in anime though, Requ uh, Phantom Requiem for a Phantom is an awesome miniseries. And uh, Kenshin is the best anime I've ever seen. Kenshin, we grew up on, both of us grew up on Kenshin. Yeah. A lot of, even our philosophy started from Kenshin. It's like, you don't need to change the world, but you can change everything in your immediate vicinity. And that's something. <clears throat> and it's and don't kill people. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Comey Rule and Billions. Billions has got a new season coming out. Comey Rule was just a short miniseries, but again, based on actual events and uh, very well produced, very well directed, extremely well written. Uh, and the West Wing, everybody knows the West Wing. Gamora yeah. is an Italian gangster thing. So if you're into Peaky Blinders and Scorsese type movies, Gamora is like an Italian version of that. And it's based off of, or it's not based off, but it's it's an extension of like a side plot of another, uh, or a spinoff, that's the word mm -hmm. I was looking for, of uh, The Immortal, which is a really famous action movie. Uh, so one of the characters from that and the actor from that actually is in Gamora as well. Which I is think also uh, Netflix. Oh, yeah, I can't. Uh, you mentioned The Wire in passing, but oh, The Wire is phenomenal. It's I, so if, good. if you haven't seen The Wire, go watch The Wire. It's like seasons three, four, and five aren't as good, but that what? No, no, they're <laughs> not as good. Caveat, but it's like comparing an A plus to an A. <laughs> I, I think that it's just the focus is different. They're looking mm -hmm. at corruption from all these different angles from within the same city. But yeah. the fact that they can tie one storyline into like a port industry and the education system and the political system yeah, of like city councilors, so like the whole thing is just so well intricately interconnected. Also the people that were involved in the corruption that they're referencing from the seventies took part in the series itself yeah. <laughs> which was so cool and it's based on a true story too like well, they're yeah. actually an avon barksdale yeah yeah um okay let's yeah move on to music music let's do music uh my first recommendation is uh, uh i'm a literary guy uh if you ask me on a date what music i listen to i'll avoid the question <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, oh, Mahler's good. Ah, great. I'm not getting, I'm not getting married, am I? <laughs> Look, that's why I dated a musician. 
All right. Why don't you go. start then, just so I don't uh, take any off your okay. list? Okay. Um, I don't know. Let's. I'm gonna get all highbrow, and I'm gonna sound all stupid. Uh, one of the most. Um, geez, I can't even pick one. Let's go with. Um. Well, I wrote a poem once because um, Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony just hit me so hard. Oh, an F minor. Yeah. I wrote I it destroyed me and I had and I was writing I was doing a poetry class and I just used it for fuel <laughs> and uh it it's just a it's heavy on the horns it's got a uh heroic first part and then has a destructive second part yeah that <laughs> and it's pro- it fe- featured prominently in Galactic Heroes too um and so maybe that one or uh beethoven's fifth was a thing when i was a kid i just listened to it and i just couldn't stop <laughs> i think i got that one too yeah release oh, was my favorite as a kid yeah so <laughs> but <laughs> modern music i don't fucking know <laughs> oh, sorry swearing um i don't know i liked i i used to be a punk guy but i kind of grew out of it so I don't know. Bad religion was fun when I was a kid, but I, I it doesn't hit as like it used to. No, I love bad religion. I can't help. <laughs> All uh, right. Again, don't be don't be dissuaded by the by the name. It's not just an atheist. We hate God. Blah blah. It's actually socially socially yeah. conscious and well thought out. Uh, and like the lyrics are lyrics. So They're not surprisingly clever. Yeah, <laughs> especially for especially for punk. <laughs> But, but there is lot, that not a lot to, of people give that deepity to like rage and machine rage against the machine and stuff like that but it, it's way more than that with bad religion which yeah, is nice they're, they're raging for the machine now <laughs> <laughs> so right. i guess in that type or that genre I'll, I'll go from like um punk to metal i guess and, and we'll just work from one genre to another <laughs> yeah um yeah so for punk i would say um Oh, I guess that's ska, but Goldfinger is one of my favorite ska bands ever, and they're they're kind of punk in my opinion. But again, punk no is all just like a subjective is. thing. Go on. <laughs> uh, Boxcar Racer is like uh, that guy uh, George George, I think Tom Belanger from Blink One Eighty Two. Travis Barker, I think, is still the drummer, who's an amazing drummer from Blink One Eighty Two. But they're in that. But they also do um, Angels and Airwaves, which is a more like electronically focused punk. Which is really interesting. It's it's, it's experimental and it's very um, uh, it's very personal to them. So it's like emotional type music. I love emotional music. So I definitely recommend that. And along that same vein, I would also recommend uh, Jarrett Leto's Thirty Seconds to Mars, which most people are familiar with now that he's got radio play. But he's been making music since way back in the day when he was doing that movie with uh, Christian Bale, Psycho. He's been a musician for ages. Right. Uh, he also did a, a wicked movie that I didn't mention, Requiem for a Dream. That was a phenomenal movie. Uh, Jarrett Leto's in that. We- He's actually the star of that. Uh, some emo, I would suggest Dashboard Confessions. I don't know why almost nobody listens to them or has heard of them, but Dashboard Confessions is amazing. Um, Harkening back a little bit, sticking with the metal stuff, I would say uh, Megadeth. Cryptic Writings is one of the best albums ever made, like start to finish. It's just brilliance all all around um 
But if you want to go back into like the seventies and stuff, you'd probably have to ask somebody else. But Boston's one of my favorites from back then. Everybody likes oh, yeah. Fleetwood Mac. So I don't like right Fleetwood now. Mac. No, no, I can't stand them. Oh, <laughs> I'm not I, I, alone then. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I think they're overrated and, and just like, you can see that they hate each other in their music. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, I, I just can't stand it. Anyway. If you're looking for something industrial, you can't go wrong with uh, either Trent Reznor, the Nine Inch Nails guy, or um, Maynard James Keenan, who did uh, A Perfect Circle and Pusifer or Pusifer. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Pulsifer? Yeah, Pusifer. Um, what's the other? Tool. He's uh, the brainchild or the, the genius behind Tool. Uh, other than that, I would suggest like Paul Banks and Elbow for some sort of melodic and really, really well done experimental, but it's like progressive rock, but not from back in the day. It's like new, new age sort of alternative okay. progressive rock. Strange uh, how we've gone, there was new age and now we're past new age. And yeah, now we're old. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing now? Well, it's post new age. Oh, come on, just make up a new word. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a whole bunch of hip hop, but I think I'd actually rather just make a, do an episode on hip hop because that, it, it would be too hard to try and recommend stuff that just sounds really harsh or is uh, gratuitously violent or things like that to most people wouldn't want to listen to it anyway. So I'll I You gave me Sage Francis a while back, like years ago, and I really liked it. Yeah, I Sage also liked Francis Brother Ali brilliant. because Brother Ali was actually optimistic. But I listened to Sage Francis again relatively recently, and I was just like, this guy whines a lot. Like, he's so poetic. And that's why I love the hip hop. He was using the genre as poetry as it's supposed to be and we'll probably get into this and in, when we talk about it but mm. i just went back and i found him very pessimistic and cynic cynic cynical and i was just like that's yeah, the emotion i love though i like, know when i'm listening to music i i don't uh, really like anything that's uppity because like i don't I like i can brother smell ali a flower if he could i want to be that happy. but i like brother ali because he could do that but then he'd also come around on the the same album and just be like, yo, we're going to have fun for two minutes. Yeah. I'm going to talk about my family and how much I love them. Yeah, and then honestly, he'd like everything from rhyme sayers, like the, the, the record label rhyme sayers from Minnesota or whatever, everything from them is great. Like Greaves yeah. has like six albums that are some of my favorite albums ever. And he's, he's very instrumental, but he's a, he's rap inspired too, but he does a lot of piano stuff and like jazz mixes and, things like that brother Ali's on the same label as him yeah. uh, atmosphere is on the same label as him oh, and he does him, yeah. some some really brilliant writing I don't like his music but his writing is so good that I listen to him but uh, yeah other than that like tea party is great um you know, Paul Oakenfold if you're gonna get into some dance stuff more like DJ Tiesto if you really want to party hard and you know balls <laughs> to the wall <laughs> Uh, if you while. want something soft and melodic, like you can't go wrong with Radiohead. And I'm not talking about like new Radiohead. I mean, all Radiohead, <laughs> but especially the Benz. The Benz was the best album. And uh, I don't think most people give it the credit that it's due. Uh, like, I think nine out of 11 songs are just world record type of good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see here. Maybe if if I was Megan, my wife, I'd probably, she'd probably say if she was here that you should listen to Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> because he's just an anachronism to himself there's postmodern music uh it's beautifully calming voice from the smiths and then he'll you listen to the lyrics and you'll be like this is horrifying 
and that's the point but she loves it so i'll plug her shit for there <laughs> um something that people probably have never heard we'll say um and the envy core i don't think i've ever met anybody that knows that the envy core and it's just absolutely phenomenal you have not met the guys only got yet. like two albums <laughs> it's painful but uh oh I, I forgot a couple for like experimental rock smashing pumpkins is really really good and for something that's soft and brilliantly written bob dylan's son jacob dylan has solo work but he also worked on the wallflowers which most people know uh, yeah. wallflowers is a tremendous band um same with uh, third eye blind super good way underrated third eye blind is so 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 good and everybody can listen to them and get into it but it's also like socially conscious they were one of the first to like publicly say f you to trump <laughs> when he was running for president and he, they were like no this is such a bad idea <laughs> but yeah not many people spoke out at the time because they weren't sure and they didn't want to look stupid but third eye blind they were just like whatever this is our opinion screw it uh, for more grungy acid type trip hop or whatever not trip hop but um just what do they call that like acid rock i guess uh, velvet acid christ is wicked they do a whole bunch of like movie quotes and they spin off of other things to like make acid their songs rock. but it's, it's all <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking when you came up with the book it's like grateful it's, dead it's stuff instrumental though it's all just industrial instrumental it's mm. i love it um, I remember yes was really good that was like one of the few bands that i was getting into for a while I never got into them. It's just because it was a lot of just experimental stuff. And I just, I remember hearing it in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and being like, what is that? And I'd listen to the whole album. I'm like, I like this. And it's just different. They like were trying to do music. They were trying to use what they had to do music and not try and do what everyone else was doing, which I really appreciated. Do you recommend any songs or an album or anything by them? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I should listen to him again. I never gave him a chance. Uh, Vertical Horizon and Treble Charger are so good. Again, way underrated in my opinion. Um, same with the brothers who are in Oasis. Uh, Noel Gallagher and I can't remember his brother's name now. Something Gallagher. <laughs> Wonderwall. I can't remember his name now. Anyway, yeah, the, they both have side projects and independent projects. Apparently there was like a feud between them. I don't know if it's still on, but um they have like they're trying yes. to best each other and they come out with some awesome music trying to one-up each other so <laughs> it's a really neat dynamic that remember Me in the last Gallagher. episode that's when i brought up spite as a motivator yeah yeah <laughs> that's what i'm talking about <laughs> liam gallagher is the name i was thinking of uh, um imagine dragons are phenomenal too I don't have any more music recommendations. Okay. Um, uh, is there I'll, any other... I'll end it then just on a few um, reggae things because everybody needs to listen to some actually good reggae and stop thinking that Bob Marley is reggae. Like it drives me insane. <laughs> Kabaka Bob Marley Pyramid. is the epitome of deepity. <laughs> yeah, you just need to exactly. love more. And everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> no, he's just repeating one thing over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Kabaka His Pyramid. Son, though... Everybody has to listen to Kabaka Pyramid. Uh, Damien Marley is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, Kimani Marley kid. is absolutely brilliant. Stephen Marley is absolutely... All of his kids are really, really great songwriters. Bob Marley was not. <laughs> I said it on record. I said it and I meant it. Um, Massacre is awesome too, but uh, probably a little bit too hardcore for most people, so I'll skip that. Fantan Moja, Mattis Yahoo, 
gentleman oh, man, I remember Mattis Yahoo yeah it's just some <laughs> random Jewish Jamaican guy yeah yeah like a gentleman's like Jerusalem. a German Jamaican guy so it's kind of <laughs> along the same lines but Mattis Yahoo had a like 15 minutes of fame like 10 12 years ago did he yeah everyone was like what is this guy and he was going on playing his stuff on like all the big shows oh and I never everyone forgot it. about him it was just like what is this guy I got a signed LP he's one of the only people that I ever like bought a vinyl of and got a signed vinyl I've never paid for vinyl before <laughs> it's just it's inferior to CD I can't deny it <laughs> that is an unpopular opinion only amongst snobs and audiophiles but like I know my shit I can go toe to toe with them. If you, you want to fight my, me, put it in the comments. I gotta bring my um my brother in law on because he's like a, I think he's a vinyl junkie, but he might actually have some decent arguments for vinyl. Yeah, there and are, he, but they're preferential arguments. They're not yeah. actually empirical arguments. You can't say the sound is technically cleaner. All you can say is that it's it sounds better to me. It has yeah. well, it has a texture, which means it's a it's it's it adds something. It's the it's like when you go make something lo-fi and it's just for the for the aesthetic itself yeah or you use a tube amp with a vinyl it usually gives people nostalgia which makes them like the song better so Ah, again it's a preferential thing it's not that the song is actually sounding better empirically or statistically or you know it just creates a reaction in a person yeah yeah and there's nothing wrong with having a feeling. If it makes you feel good, then obviously it's better to you, but you can't say it's objectively better. It's technically subjectively mm-hmm. better, but yeah. that's another story. Uh, Blind Melon, I just want to throw that in. Okay, I'm done. I could do this forever, sorry. Yeah, well, that's why I, 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 I had to truncate myself with the books because this is not, these are not my only books. I've got another three upstairs. Um, I guess honorable mentions no uh let's not do that merry christmas enjoy the arts spend time with your family love peace and prosper yeah if you're gonna read or watch any of these share them don't just watch them in like secret insulate like share your joy with the world Mm -hmm. and talk about it have a good christmas merry merry christmas Christmas, everybody are we gonna sing a song for them we're gonna sing christmas carols for them we could say jingle balls Mm, no that's a bit crass <laughs> let's just say merry christmas there's a kevin smith reference <laughs> bye all right bye guys merry christmas merry christmas